listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hello, welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I am your host and friend through the airwaves, if you will, Brooke Walker. Grateful that you are jumping into our conversation today. And it's one that affects, I'm confident in saying, each and every parent listening. Because when it comes to teaching our kids, you might be afraid of a certain D word in your home. And that word is, I'll I'll quickly clarify, discipline. Discipline is a tough one. It's tough to know as a parent how to take it on, how to approach it. However, discipline can be something that we can reclaim and ultimately learn to appreciate as parents. Today, we've invited Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, author of the book, No Drama Discipline, to share her insights on the topic on how we might be able to redirect and better connect and how parents can find confidence in their own personal discipline philosophy. She was an early voice in this topic early on, and I think you'll find her thoughts to be quite refreshing. She's no nonsense. She's very practical. And in a lot of ways, she fights against a culture we've created around the idea of discipline that immediately ties it to punishment. Listen in as Dr. Bryson shares how to take punishment, even time out off the table, and use our discipline efforts as parents to ultimately teach, bond, and connect with our kids. Dr. Bryson, welcome to Family Rules. Thank you so much, and please call me Tina. Tina, Tina it is. In fact, this will be one of these creepy introduction moments. I followed you for so long. I'm the mom of a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, one on the way. So you speak right to my parenting zone. I'm thrilled to be talking to you today. Oh, I'm so excited for you to have a moment away from your kids. You're in the (laughs) trenches, my friend. Yeah, work is self-care on some days. Work is self-care. You know, when you have little kids and you never get a break, it's like going to the gynecologist for your annual checkup is or dentist or anything. You're like, oh, I hope the waiting room like takes forever. You know, you just <laughs> need that break so much. But yes. um, you're really trenches. But thank you for following me and saying that. It's such an honor to really be able to have an impact on how parents parent intentionally. That's why I do it. So thank you. It's been neat to see not just your messaging and the positive way you're motivating parents, but how your platform has grown. I mean, fair to say a lot of parents need help in this space. Yes, we all do. Um, I need help too. I reach out to other people to give us, give me perspective. But yeah, we, you know, it's such an important job. And, um, you know, even if we feel like we're well-informed, there are so many moments where like, how in the heck do I handle this, you know, or I'm doing everything I know to do and it's not working, or I know what not to do, but I'm not sure what to do. We all need that. And I think, you know, it's like, we need it a lot. You might read a book, but you might read it again three months later and get more out of it. It's just, we, we, need constant support, really. It's such a big job. One area of emphasis for you is discipline, and that will be the focus of our conversation today, how to take the drama out of discipline. When did this become a particular facet or focus of the work and the messaging that you share? You know, when I studied, so when I was, um, when I had my, when my oldest was 18 months, I started a a PhD program. Um, I was a, I was really a stay-at-home mom until my youngest turned five for the most part, except I took classes and I had some things when the boys were with their dad, um, with my husband. Um, But as I was studying and learning about the brain and learning about child development, 
I couldn't believe how much science actually was really applicable to parenting. And in terms of especially how we understand our child's behavior and how we respond to it. And what I was finding is that most of what our culture thinks and believes and does in the name of discipline made actually very little sense and was even counterproductive Mm. um, once we understand child development and how people actually learn. And so as I was studying and I kept having babies while I was in this PhD program. And I was also studying with Dan Siegel, my co-author. And every time I was learning this stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a total game changer. And parents need to know about this. Teachers need to know about this. And so I really felt like I had a call to create kind of a revolution. And there's been more people who have joined us along the way um, where more and more parents are thinking about discipline in this different way. But No Drama Discipline was a pretty radical book. It was a book that really said, look, a lot of what we do doesn't make sense and we really need to rethink this thing. And so it just was a game changer. And I'm so excited to have been part of that revolution. We're going to get into positive, proactive solutions, but first connect the dots for me. Drama and discipline, what's the link there? (laughs) Well, a lot of times what we do in the moment when our kids need discipline, and I'm going to even define discipline differently than how most people think about it uh, in just a moment, but a lot of what happens in the moment is that we escalate um, what's happening in the moment. And we bring a lot of drama to the moment because of our own fears. I'm sorry, like I'm the drama problem. The parent is making it worse. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, But it's also our kid, right? So when we think about a new approach to discipline, which is founded on a lot of science, this isn't just some like, you know, new opinion that we're throwing out there. This is founded on a lot of science. And we can really say that the way we handle it in the moment can reduce the drama that we bring and it can reduce the drama our kid brings. We really can do it in a way that helps build skills and reduce the reactivity. It's it's more effective. And that's, I mean, gosh, as a parent of three and you're as a parent of almost four, we want what works and what builds relationship and feels good, right? So if at the same time, we can be building our kid's brain optimally and making it a lot less dramatic and exhausting and Uh dragging us through the trenches, bring it. And so that's what I love about this approach. Okay, discipline, define that for us based on your research and your experience. What is discipline? So when Dan and I were writing this book and we were wrestling with the title, we had a colleague that we respect say, please don't use the word discipline in the title of your discipline book. Mm. And the point she had was that when we say discipline, most people make the association with punishment or consequence. Right. If you go back to the original meaning of the word and you think about disciples, um, Jesus's disciples, or you think about disciplines in a college, the word means to teach or to build skills. So really the whole point and purpose of discipline for most parents, when you talk to them about their goals is that the child becomes a self-disciplined person. So what that requires is a lot of teaching, skill building and coaching. And so what that really means, and if we do this well over time, especially when they're young and, and as they grow, if we are effective disciplinarians, and of course, by that, I mean, teachers, skill builders, coaches, giving our kids lots and lots of repeated experiences to build skills, then we actually have to discipline less over time because they're handling it. They are self-disciplined. We don't have to step in and say, you know, you really shouldn't talk that way to your brother because they stop themselves or they say something mean to their brother and then they go, 
sorry, dude, I overreacted, right? So we actually make our job a lot easier and less dramatic for us if we are really focusing on teaching and skill building. So we're training essentially as we go and they're picking up on the tools and skills to self-manage down the road. Yep. Well, from a practical standpoint then, is there room for punishment within discipline as you've just defined it healthfully? Is there room for a timeout? Is there room for, I mean, what does that look like? What's the correlation? You know, I'm not 100% against consequences, but let me break that down a little bit. I would say that typically the, the way that I work through this in terms of how we think about how the brain changes and learns so that they can build skills is that I want discipline moments to really be opportunities to build skills. And kids' behavior is communication. So your kids are showing you with their behaviors the very areas they need skill building. So in the moment when I ask, okay, my kid just did this thing. He just hit his brother, okay? And that's not okay. And my kid knows it's a, he's four, but he already knows that's not okay. But his brain got really reactive. He lost control. That's what happens with four-year-olds. Now this is an opportunity to do some skill building. So what can happen there is I can say, okay, now is an opportunity to teach. Now, what do I want to teach my kids? So the the first question I'm going to ask is, what is the lesson I want to learn, my kid to learn? What is the skill here? So my kid needs to learn to manage anger in a more respectful way, right? In a more controlled way. So what's the most effective way for me to teach that? And when I ask that second question, what's the most effective way for me to build this skill? Punishment is almost never the answer. Mm. And what happens with punishment is it actually can be really counterproductive. There are a lot of reasons it can be counterproductive. I'll just pick one or two. Um, The main one is when I throw a, a, um, a consequence or a punishment at my kid and I say, okay, you just hit your brother. You clearly can't be with people today. Go to your room. I'm canceling your play date. So I throw out a threat, a Mm -hmm. punishment, consequence. Mm -hmm. He goes to his room and he spends all of his attention and emotional energy in thinking about how mean I am to do this to him because it was his brother's fault in the first place. And he basically blames everybody else and spends no attention or time thinking about what did I do that wasn't okay? So it actually kind of absolves them to some degree of their own accountability. So much better instead. Like I feel like the consequence gets in the way there, right? Especially the isolation piece of it, which is so often tied to consequence or punishment. The timeout or you're grounded, that becomes a one-on-one. There's no one to process or work through it with anyway. Yeah, I'm not a fan of timeouts. Um, I used to use them with my firstborn who was an introvert and loved timeouts. Like he would hit me and then go put himself in timeout. I'm like, you can just go... If you want to. Um, but when I became in this embroiled battle with my second born, where at the end of this, he I put him in timeout. He wouldn't stay there. I chased him. Um, he and then eventually I'm holding him. And like we both were so angry. And I was like, what are we even doing here? He's mm-hmm. learning nothing here. This is so stupid. Um and, and because I'm an attachment researcher too, when our children are at their worst, that's often when they most need connection. There are stress hormones running through their bodies. And when we isolate them, particularly punitively, we're actually making it much less likely, again, that they're going to learn. We're adding drama because we're activating their attachment needs at that time too. Um, so instead of throwing a consequence or a punishment at them, so much better to say, what's going to help my kid learn? What's going to help them have a skill? Or And of course, 
you know, we can't do it just one time with a four-year-old and expect they're going to have the skill the next time. We also have to wait for the brain to develop. But just like when I lift weights and I do reps or repetitions, I build that muscle. We want our kid to have lots of reps of experiences that do that skill building. So when I say to my kid, you hit your brother and I know, you know, that's not okay. So what happened for you? What was happening there? And he can has to dig deep and say, I got really mad. And, and I say, well, how did you know you were mad? What did that feel like in your body? And wow, when you feel that in your body, that's a good clue to you that you're getting angrier. So what can you do instead the next time? It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to hit. So what can you do when you're angry? And we talk about that. And then I say, what can you do to make things right with your brother? And so we talk about that. So at the end of that reflective dialogue, which my kids don't love, they probably would say it's a consequence. They don't want to have to have the conversation. (laughs) They'd rather have the timeout. Exactly, exactly. They can play with their toys, right? But at the end of that, did I teach? Yes. Did I build skills? Yes. I'm done. If I throw a consequence in there, it's going to be counterproductive. So I think we really need to ask ourselves. And by the way, the way we do um, our response matters a lot. I'm not, this is not a permissive approach. We really want boundaries, expectations that helps our kids feel safe. But if I walk into my kid's room and he's playing on his phone instead of doing his homework, or he's doing something he's not supposed to do on a device, um, I can walk in and be like, that's it. I'm taking your phone away. Okay, that's appropriate. That's a logical consequence, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But instead, if I say, hey, you're showing me that you don't have um, the the self-restraint to have your phone in your room when you're doing your homework. So I'm going to hold on to your phone during homework times um, until you build that skill. It's totally, it's still a consequence. I'm still taking away the phone, but it's a different way of thinking about it based on skills, responsibility, maturity, those kinds of things. I think your analogy of, of the muscle building is really key here. And you were doing biceps. So as you were talking about building those muscles, you know, layer by layer, because parenting takes patience. We know that. I think this takes a kind of discipline on behalf of the parent to have those thoughtful, reflective conversations again and again And again, what would you say to the parent who says, this is not working, Tina. It is not sinking in. I'm having the same conversation over and over and over. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience or anything, but yeah, here I am bringing my personal problems to work. What would you say to that parent? What would you say to me? Yeah, the first is we have to remember that we should trust development more than we do. Okay. What I mean by that is the brain is building and changing and our kids are building capacity. If you, you know, if you ask your, um, you know, two-month-old to use the toilet, (laughs) that's just not going to happen. You could say it 600 times. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Developmentally, they're not ready. So we have to check our expectations and make sure that, yes, we want to give them those repetitions and those experiences, but we also have to wait for brain development. We have to wait for their development and maturation to happen. So, you know, and the other thing is the brain is very plastic and it does change, but it takes lots and lots and lots of repetitions, right? So the first time you heard six times seven is 42, you didn't have it. You needed to write it down 50 times and say it in your head 50 times. So I want to coach a six-year-old to say when a parent says, you know, um, how many times do I have to tell you? I want to coach that six-year-old to say, it'll probably be like 50 times over at least a six to eight week period before I've got it, right? So it, it does take that time. The other thing I would say to you when you feel like I keep doing this, it's not working. You know, one of the things that's so funny about human beings, and I'm I'm with you on this, is that we we tend to do the same unproductive things over and over and over again. If something isn't working, notice this isn't working and say, I need to do something different. 
And if your kid is old enough, five or older, to say, hey, I'm noticing this keeps happening and the way we're handling it isn't working very well. Do you have any ideas? Give them opportunities. We spend so much time with our emotion and our thoughts and our attention trying to figure out what to do. Let's put some of the heavy lifting on our kids to use their prefrontal cortex to do Mm. some problems when it comes to discipline. That's so good for building their brain. It's so respectful. It also communicates, I trust that you're a problem solver and that you have good, important things to say about you and about our relationship and about how to handle yourself. So that's another thing to do is to pause and say, this isn't working. I'm going to try something different and I'm going to get my kids input. And one other quick thing I'll say about that is that a lot of times it's pretty easy to predict when our kids' behavior is going to be bad. Like, we're not surprised when it happens. So that's an opportunity to say, okay, how can I be proactive? You know, we always have these bedtime battles and I, my patience is so small at the end of the day. This isn't working. I yell at them every night. So let's figure out a different plan. Let's be more proactive about, like for instance, my kid always has the massive meltdown when they're brushing their teeth right after we've read stories. Okay, my kid prefers, uh, brushing the teeth is the least preferred part for my kid of the bedtime routine. I'm gonna do that first. Let's start with the least preferred task so we still have time to recover and get them regulated during the story time before we you know, turn off the light. Even if it means they're having a little bit of milk and whatever, have a glass of water for them to swish it down afterwards. Like it's not the end of the world. I I recall you once defining a difference between can't and won't. And that popped into my brain as you were talking about, you know, their needs and their limitations. Explain that, that distinction for us. Yeah, Ross Green writes about that a lot. And there are lots of people who talk about that idea is, you know, we often assume that a kid is deciding to misbehave or they're deciding to have a tantrum or they're, you know, it's like, you're not listening to because you to me because you won't listen, you know? But actually a lot of times it's that they can't. So some of the things we say, like our, let's say our, your three or four-year-old is having a total tantrum and you're like, use your words, They can't, that's not a won't. They're not deciding to scream instead of telling you how they feel. They can't because their brain, they've flipped their lid. They have stress hormones running through their body. So a lot of times we assume that bad behavior is willful chosen behavior when really it's not really a won't. It's that the kid can't regulate themselves in that moment. They're too tired. They're too hungry. They're too young. Um, they've been overwhelmed, whatever it is. And so I think that's a really important thing, especially when you think about consequences, because if your kid is melting down because they've lost it, they're just exhausted, whatever, their brain can't regulate themselves in that moment and they need you to help them. If you punish them, you're punishing for them for something they can't help. And they actually can't even learn in that moment because they're too dysregulated. So again, we're, we want to think about instead of what am I going to do to my kid, what am I going to do for them to build those skills? I love that. I love that. I remember I have a distinct memory as a new mom. I think my oldest was two or three. We were we were in line at the grocery checkout and she was losing it, but it was on me because she was hungry and I knew it and I knew it. And, and somebody, I think, recognized me if you were in line or something and turned around and said, oh, I bet there's a timeout coming. And I was quick to say, even in my early mom insecurity. No, 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 no. She's starving. This is on me. I mean, part of it speaks to that, recognizing their needs and their limitations. Totally. Yeah. Look, where are the pitfalls, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and sometimes we can't avoid them. And I think I want to say that too, um, Brooke, when you were talking about, gosh, it really requires like slowing down and really being present in the moment and staying regulated ourselves. We're not going to be able to do that all the time. We right. don't have 
to have a reflective dialogue about every little behavior all day. I mean, imagine if your significant other got onto you about everything you did all day long that wasn't your best, right? Like that would be too much. And so it's okay to let some things go. Your kid's going to give you an opportunity to do skill building around that the next time. And sometimes you can't have a reflective dialogue about having to put your shoes on and get in the car. Like you can still be empathetic while you hold those boundaries, but you don't have to have a reflective dialogue about everything. It's just over time, making sure you're doing some of that coaching and skill building. What would you say, Tina, to the to the parent listening? And I can almost hear the hear the internal dialogue like, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, this is the approach that I need. And then maybe come 24 hours, we slip up as parents or we flip our lid or we lose it. Is there a way to come back from that sort of reactive parenting? You are going to lose it. You are going to slip. Oh, and it might, it might even be 25 minutes from now um, <laughs> because our brains get reactive too, right? Sure. Just like sometimes it's a can't for them. Sometimes it's a can't for us. And I think, um, first of all, remember that the brain is developed and wired based on experiences. So whenever we start making a shift in providing different kinds of experiences, our kids benefit. So it's never too late, depending on what you've been doing, make a shift and we can give ourselves a do-over and a fresh start six times a day if we need to. So we need to not be so hard on ourselves and know that for sure we're going to flip our lids. We're going to do all of those things. The key is repair. So after we lose it, we become unpredictable. Maybe we don't even, you know, we're so scary because we scream and yell and our kids like, ah, and it really frightened them. Maybe even something dramatic like that we can make a repair and say, I am so sorry I handled it like that. I really wish I had done that differently. Will you forgive me? Can I have a do-over? So the key is making that repair. And then the other thing that's really important about these slip-ups is when we find ourselves parenting in ways that don't feel good to us, or we swore we would never yell again, or we wouldn't make a big deal about that, and then we find ourselves doing it, is to start with curiosity. To start with, and first of all, when we um, invoke curiosity, we actually use our prefrontal cortex, which keeps us more integrated, less likely for us to flip our lids. Mm. Um, So it helps us actually handle ourselves better if we can just stay in curiosity, even for a moment. And to ask ourselves, what got in the way for me um, to be the parent I wanted to be in that moment? Or what was that about for me? And sometimes the answer is as simple as, I haven't peed by myself in three years and I am so tired and I haven't had anything to eat today. Like I just lost my patience. That's what it was about for me. That's what got in the way is I wasn't in a good space, even just grounded in terms of my own nutrition and and I'm dehydrated, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then other times it's like, you know what? I feel really resentful. Too much of this parenting is falling on my shoulders. I need some help or I need more sleep, or even bigger than that to say, I'm noticing that when my kid rejects me, I get really reactive. What's that about for me? What does that have to do with my past? And what are the issues there that are kind of intruding themselves? And to do some reflection around that, that can be helpful to do with a therapist. Um, In my book with Dan, The Power of Showing Up, we've got some questions in there to help us make sense of our own attachment history and um, And that can be really important for us to shine the light of awareness on what's getting in the way because without awareness, we don't have choice. We just keep doing it. It becomes automatic for us. So we really want to become aware and then know just like our kids need lots of skill building and it gets easier over time with lots of repeated experiences. That's what happens for our brains too. The more you practice um, trying to be the calm in the storm and regulating yourself 
um, the easier it will get for you. There's a lot of grace in how you teach it and how you share it, a lot of self-compassion and just a lot of practical common sense. I guess in conclusion, Tina, how do we know if it's working well? How do we know if this approach to no drama discipline is paying off and our children are thriving and growing as we hope? I think, again, we have to look at development. You know, the way your kid acts today or this week or even this month is not a reflection of who they are going to be as adults. And we do a lot of fear-based parenting. Like my kid, you know, wants to sleep in bed with me and I think he's going to sleep in my bed forever and he's never going to be an independent individual and he's going to live in a van down by the river and never amount to anything, right? (laughs) We go to these fear-based places as parents. So um, really what we want to do is watching over time. So, you know, pick one or two discipline issues that really bother you. They either cause a lot of conflict, they worry you the most, um, they suck the most air out of your family's home. And think about about those, do some proactive problem solving. Okay, how can I do skill building in this one or two area, one or two areas? How can I give them practice? How can I model this? How can we, you know, work on this? And then look three, six months down the road. Is it better than it was three to six months ago? Um, So we really need to take a little bit longer view. And the other thing I would say about that is we can just trust development. Even if you do nothing, Brooke, like let's say you are completely like doing no skill building, just if your child is ever playing or their brain is developing over time, just development and play build a lot of skills. So I guess I just want to remind us that we have somehow as a culture created this burden for ourselves as parents to feel like the end result is solely up to us and how we parent. And of course, what we do matters. And the way we respond to our kids matters. We're building their brains, but it is not all on us. Their peers will socialize them. The other adults in their lives will socialize them. Play is building their brains. Their siblings are building their brains and their brains are developing even having nothing to do with us. So I think we can also take some of the pressure off and know that it is going to get better. And if it's not, if you're finding your kids moving into more and more reactive states, get some help because your kid's behavior is telling you there is something about this that isn't working for me. And so when we're really seeing that our kid is not able to handle the demands of their environment and it's not getting better with development, get some help. Reach out to a, uh, a child therapist, a, a um, parenting person, and just do a consult. You know, we we hire people to do our taxes. Why wouldn't we hire um, a parenting consult or a child development specialist, a child therapist to say, hey, I've got these three or four issues in my family. I just need some perspective and some tips. And is everything looking okay? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, Just the reassurance is great. Or if the therapist says, you know what? I think there's something here that we need to look at deeper. Great. Earlier, the earlier the intervention, the better. So ask for help if you're worried. Trust your instincts about that. Good, worthy investment. And this was a great investment of our time, thought-provoking conversation and great advice from you. We're grateful. How can we get more information about your work and your messaging? My website is tinabryson.com and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter also, but I'm doing the most on Instagram, um, Tina Payne Bryson. I also, and you'll find this on my um, on my website, I also have just started doing some parenting classes and groups where we're just talking about ideas and people are asking questions. So fantastic. I bet that collaboration is really enriching for those who are part of the conversation. And your book, No Drama Discipline. No Drama Discipline, yes. All right. And, um, and of course, people know The Whole Brain Child, um, The Yes Brain, and The Power of Showing Up. And then my newest book is called The Bottom Line for Baby. And it's my first solo book, and it's for new parents about all the competing advice you get uh-huh. and what the science 
says. And it's done alphabetically, so you can just flip to that section, see what the science says, and then learn to trust your baby and do what you want to do. Forget what your friend tells you. Clever, clever. Thank you so much, Tina. Great to chat with you. Thank you, Brooke. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. Today's special guest was Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, author of the book, No Drama Discipline. We hope this conversation was helpful to you. If it was, we'd invite you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can catch other conversations just like this on Family Rules, the TV show. You can dial up past episodes at byutv.org. Thanks for listening. We hope you can join us next time. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.